I then spoke to Sean Hannity, which everybody refuses to call Sean Hannity. I had numerous conversations with Sean Hannity at Fox. And Sean Hannity said, and he called me the other day, and I spoke to him about it. He said, you were totally against war, because he was for the war. Why is and your we, excuse me, better than And that was before the war started. Sean Hannity said very strongly to me and other people, he's willing to say, but nobody wants to call him. I was against the war. He said, you used to have fights with me because Sean was in favor of the war. And I understand that side also. Not very much, because we should have never been there. But nobody called Sean Hannity. And then they did an article in a major magazine shortly after the war started. I think in 04. But they did an article which had me totally against the war in Iraq. And one of your compatriots said, you know, whether it was before or right after, Trump was definitely, because if you read this article, there's no doubt. But if somebody, and I'll ask the press, if somebody would call up Sean Hannity. Oh, I would love to get Sean Hannity on the phone. This is Charles. This is the Wisecast. Find us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Follow me on Twitter, at Chaz Garden. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk about Sean Hannity a little bit today. Man, I would love to be on his show. More now, more now than ever. People on both sides of the spectrum are realizing that Sean Hannity is, you know, cheerleader number one for the Trump administration. And we're going to talk about the contradictions of who he is and what he does, the conflict that's going on at Fox News, um, and, a, and a couple other topics. We're going get to get you caught up on some, on some news stories as well. I'm going to get Nick on the phone in a little bit. But before we do that, I just want to just want to break you guys in softly. It's been a while. How you how you guys doing? I think our last episode was March second or something like that. You know, it's almost a month coming to the end of March. I'm just relaxing today. I got a random day off on a Thursday. It's actually pretty nice out in Seattle. Looking out my window, I see blue. Kinda a little a little blue, a little blue in the skies. But um, it's been brutal. It's been a wet, cloudy. Winter here in Seattle. Not that I'm surprised, but it, it has been worse. In the two years that I've been here, it has been worse. Um, and then even people who've been here for years have also um, said that it was a pretty rough winter. But it's getting nice out. Spring is upon us. And uh, today, you know, it's you know one of those days off where I try to be super productive. It's just one day. I don't get two in a row. One day, do everything. Do some chores. Get some writing done. Do some reading. Maybe get some coffee in the morning. Go on a walk. And then grocery shop. Now, I've done all that except for the grocery shopping part, and I plan on doing that after this podcast. But if you live in a city, you'll understand that going to the grocery store is um, its a bit of a debacle sometimes. Now, in Seattle, there's less people here than like a city like New York, but the people here browse a little bit more. You know, they're not on a mission like you'll find in New York where people know everybody's in the same boat. It's like, uh, this is only going to be enjoyable if I get in and get out. Now, I am still under the mindset that um, when I go grocery shopping, I do enjoy it. I like buying food, but I'm in there to get in and get out. I'm not browsing the tuna aisle, okay? So I treat going to the grocery store like an athletic event. I'm putting my Nikes on. I'm getting the knee brace on, maybe a nasal strip putting a sweatband on. I'm going to stretch before, maybe take a little pre-workout and I'm getting in there and I'm going to take the small cart because the big cart, uh-uh, it's not mobile. Take the small cart and I'm zooming through. Produce first, then you go to the back of the store, you do your dairy and your eggs. Now, I'm in, I'm in there, man. I'm, I'm juking. I'm, you know, I might throw the stiff arm over there. I might throw some bows. You know, you get too close, you go for that carton of eggs, you might get, you might get boxed out, okay? 
And God forbid, God forbid you try to buy LaCroix. LaCroix, 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 whatever you want to call it. Oh my God, it looks like a bomb went off. There is no more six packs of LaCroix every time I go. It's all gone. I feel like you have to get there at 6 a.m. to buy some LaCroix. Sometimes Emily and I will go, and you got to get on all fours on the bottom shelf and reach deep into the back to grab the last case of LaCroix. You know, Emily's doing that. I'm holding her ankle so we can get more leverage and more distance on our reach. It's crazy. Crazy. I mean, I as a kid, you go to the grocery store with your parents. They got the cart. You can make a day out of it. You know, we live in the suburbs, okay? But in the city, it's it's unbelievable. I got to get mentally ready to do it, you know? And then I feel like I'm an asshole. I'm breathing down people's necks, you know? Um, I'm, I'm walking fast. I, I'm walking at least, you know, five miles per hour faster than anybody else in there. But I'll, I'll guarantee you this. I'm in there quicker, more efficient. And I minimize those situations that normally cause you stress when you go there because I'm in so quick, you know? I'm in and out. Boom, boom, boom. Got my milk, got my egg, got my bread, got my meat, got everything, got my vegetables. You know, if I have a large shopping to do, I'm not going to the self-checkout. Going right to the teller, right? Right to the cashier. It's a very underutilized resource these days, especially um, in in cities where they've just put in like a thousand self-checkout, which is not always faster. It's not always faster. You go to the person because then they'll have the person will check check you out and they'll have somebody bag it for you quicker, efficient, the line moves faster, and I don't have to wait for somebody, you know, who's trying to buy alcohol and the self-checkout, and then they got to wait for the attendant to come by to check their ID for, you know, for a tall boy of butt ice. All right, what's going on, Nick? All right, what's happening, man? Not much, just, uh, just got done making a rant before I called you up about how I hate going to the grocery store. I don't hate yeah. it, but I just hate the people that are in the grocery store. You got to get in and out when you're there. Yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> Fuck yeah. yeah. In and out. Shit. In and out. I was, you know, yeah. the other day I was in there and you know, I'm like, I, like I was saying earlier, when you, when you hear the podcast, you'll hear my little rant about it. But I, I, you know, I get in, I get out, I fucking beast mode the whole thing. And there's people who straight up like browse aisles. You know yeah, what, I mean? what is this? The, f- the fucking bookstore? Yeah, you exactly. Know? It's like, what are you browsing for? Like the yeah. tuna? You're looking at tuna? There's like yeah. there's like three different types of tuna. You know, just close your eyes the and pe- pick one. The people who develop their list as they're in the grocery store <laughs> instead of at home. You know, yeah. it's like, come on, man. I don't get it, man. That's just, that shit's that shit's homework, not schoolwork. Yeah, yeah, for real. And honestly, I used to I used to hate when my uh you know it's kind of embarrassing, but my first job was at Bed Bath and Beyond in high school. Uh-huh. And I hated how it would be like as soon as we opened up like 9 a.m. or whenever we opened up on like a day where it was pouring out and then these people would be waiting outside before the doors are even unlocked. Then we open the doors, they come in and then they spend three hours in Bed Bath & Beyond browsing and buying like a gravy boat. It's like you came three outside. Hours? Dude, hours, hours, man. Straight and up they hours. And also, they also lined up before you opened. Yeah, to browse. And I remember Jesus, just being, man. you know, in high school. What you, a life. What a life. I know. In high school, you're just like, you don't want to be there. You're just like, fuck, like yeah, I don't want to be here. Not. But oh my god, and I, I always think about that where I'm like stuck yeah, they, behind I mean, somebody with a cart. Hiring, they should have been hiring those people because they obviously really wanted to be there. They could have taken your job. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you could have gotten those guys to cover your shift for you because it was pretty obvious that they had no problem spending their Saturday afternoons at fucking Bed Bath and Beyond. I know, I know. But um, yeah. Anyway, anyway Bed Bath and Beyond is a very that's a very it's a very liberal thing, right? Bed Bath and Beyond. Bed Bath and Beyond. <laughs> no, they they don't have that. 
lower income neighborhoods. <laughs> I know. Fuck Bed Bath they, Beyond. They got they they got Bed Bath and Be Gone. Yeah. Oh, dude. <laughs> well, anyway, so something's been happening that we're gonna we're do a little callback to. Uh, it was episode four. It was the demo wax and. I had this theory, we had this conversation, a little bit of like a debate going on about populism in this country and how I was contending that, you know, is it possible that populism could be killed by Donald Trump? You know, because he ran as this populist candidate. You and I don't think that he's a populist candidate. We think he's a fraud. Um, But he kind of ran as this populist candidate. And now we're seeing that he's been in office for a little while now um, and numbers have come in from Germany and support for the far right kind of right wing nationalist parties in Germany has waned since Trump has come to office. And then there was the election in, um, in the Netherlands in Gert Wheelers. I think that's Wilders. Gert Wilders. Is that Gert Wilders? I think. Wilders? Yeah, like that. yeah. He was oh, like weird the, name. Geert. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was the, the Dutch version of Trump had his weird hair, his fake tan and all that shit. And, he, for a while, was kind of this insurgent politician, and, and it was garnering a lot of support. It's the same sort of sentiment, you know, xenophobic, nationalistic sentiment. And his polling numbers and popularity were really high before Trump became president. And then since Trump has become president, have gone down. And he kind of got, you know, waxed in their election. It, basically, what I'm talking about is this idea that populism or this brand of right-wing nationalism is, oddly enough, becoming more unpopular as we go as trump is in office longer you know so yeah what do you you think you think that populism is tied to this or this is just right-wing nationalism i think unfortunately um the the idea of populism is is being wedded has been wed to the trump presidency you know because he was kind of you know there are these uh right-wing nationalist sentiments that that people you know among you know in european countries and then obviously within the u.s this past election um, and they claim to be, you know, supporting the will of the people. They they take on this, you know, this populist uh, image, you know. And so there's obviously left-wing populism as well. We saw that really, really strongly with Bernie Sanders' campaign mm-hmm. this election, but he lost, you know. And so um, the fact that the uh, sort of, I guess you can call it, the right-wing populist message uh, won the presidency in, in the U.S., or at least, you know, occupies a part of the presidency within the U.S. I think it's unfair to say that they, that, that they actually won. I don't think you can really say that right-wing populism was the reason why Trump won, but it was right. a factor in his victory. But he's tied his name to populism. Um, and therefore, in some ways, um, the, success of his, you know, the success of his presidency will determine whether or not populism succeeds as this kind of political force. You know, it's a very vague thing, and it doesn't really describe what's actually going on but it's used by politicians i think to represent um you know just for them to, for them to say that that they represent the will of the people you know what i mean yeah I'm a populist insurgent you know i'm a candidate you know he he's he's surging by all this populist support you know it must indicate that he has some um you know validity and some claim to the office because he or she is representing the will of the people but in reality that's like not really the situation, but unfortunately, this this phrase has been tied to Trump and to these kind of right wing horror shows that are that like that are taking place in these uh, in these European countries now. Yeah, and so well, I think better, it's also the main tenet of even Trump's campaign and these movements in Europe is this xenophobic sort of anti immigration. Yeah, fervor. well, that's it. it you it, know, it, it, 
it coincides with this influx of refugees. But that's you know? unfortunate that it's being wed to the idea of populism. So I am skeptical whether yeah. that uh, voters in the future will be able to separate, you know, something that's liberal populism where it's not xenophobic. Uh-huh. It's, a- it's, well, it's economic kind of crazy. Populism. It's kind of crazy. If you think about it, it was like it's because, you know, socialism had such a negative connotation within the U.S. Yeah. And so. You know, people were afraid that you know we're thinking that Bernie Sanders need like needed to rebrand himself because you know, he's a self-defined socialist, you know. But that's scary to a lot of people, especially people in Middle America who kind of grew up with the Cold War. Um, you know, so that kind of mental or that kind of um, you know imagery is 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 a little uh, difficult to to digest for many Americans. So, in some ways, populism was their response to this need for change of, of you know, this, this, this need for a new label. Mm-hmm. You know, populism, you know, a left, sort of like more left-leaning populism um, is socialist in nature, but socialist has such a bad connotation in American culture that, you know, they had to move away from that. So populism became the new thing. But we're seeing that maybe, you know, it's necessary to change up the message again for people on the left because yeah. Donald Trump is giving populism a bad name along with people like Marie Le Pen um, and you know, the, the people from Brexit, you know, people say that since Trump became president, that, um, that, uh, these right-wing nationalist parties has sort of maybe been waning. Their support has, uh, has kind of faltered a little bit in, in these European countries ahead of the, these elections. But we have to remember that Brexit is also, um, a factor in that as well. Um, you know, yeah, some Trump buyer's remorse the, again. Yeah. Yeah. Trump is very honest. Like, 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 honestly, he's very on the surface. He's very, you know, grandiose and kind of out of his mind and, you know, just visibly very crazy. Um, but there's also, you know, some, a lot of anxiety in Great Britain right now about what the implications of Brexit will be and will it actually solve these, these problems. Um, so I think people are seeing the conversation and I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to be too declarative on the situation in Great Britain because frankly, I'm not that informed about it, but I think people, you know, Great Britain is much closer to rest of Europe than, than America is. And so I think people are viewing Britain as well and saying and, and viewing the debate that's taking place in that country as they prepare to exit the European Union. And they're wondering, okay, is this what we want for our country? Because a lot of these right-wing populists, what they're saying, you know, they're all anti-European Union. That's one thing that unites a lot of them. Um, so by electing one of them, you know, that would invariably lead to some kind of withdrawal from the EU. Um, and so as they're seeing Great Britain um, go about this process, they're also viewing that very critically as well and saying, okay, is this what we want for our country? Yeah, and it's also a thing where the chaos of the Trump administration, it's like, okay, yeah, we want, if the people want somebody like Trump in in, in the Netherlands or in France with Marine Le Pen, um, I guess what they could see now, just by the way the Trump administration is operating that, okay, you may get a candidate who's going to be tough on immigration and kind of put forth this xenophobic sort of like America first or France first you know, you know, anti-EU sort of um, policy, but you're also going to get a lot of really crazy policies that don't make sense either. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that you know, and but 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 honestly, I, like I think that's more of a. This is 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 another example of how Donald the, like the attachment of the term or phrase or label populism to Donald Trump is 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 detrimental to the term in general because yeah. I think people like Marie Le Pen. Um, are much more focused in what they want to accomplish than Donald Trump is. I think you know Donald Trump is is a, is an opportunist, and um, he is a person who sort of tapped into the, like into the zeitgeist of the time and attached this label to himself. 
Um, but he doesn't represent it. And, and in some ways, he's giving it a bad name for these right wing nuts over in, in, you know, in France or in Germany who actually have a clear and defined ideology that they want to implement. Um, you know, people see Trump's craziness and, you know, just how erratic he is. Um, and they'll assume all of a sudden that, you know, Marie, Marie Le Pen will govern the same way. I'm not saying that she won't, but she, but, but, but her job is made a bit more difficult by, um, by Trump's presence in the political ring and the fact that he associates himself with populism. Yeah. So let me give you some 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 numbers for Gert okay. Wilders, Wilders, whatever. I'm just gonna call him whatever the hell I want to call him. He's got a, just call him he's Geert, got a, Geert. Geert. Um, Uncle Uncle Geert. Uncle Geert. So <laughs> he, you know, he pretty much lost handily in the election. And it's a parliamentary system, but um in, in they the got a crazy system over there, man. It's crazy. They have like a some like 125 parties. Yeah. It's wild. It's yeah. wild. But what happened was he did have an effect though. So a lot of um, center parties and right-leaning parties yeah. moved further to the right to kind of steal some of that uh, fervor that Wilders was um, kind of tapping into. So yeah. you could say in general that even though his brand of right-wing nationalism lost, the country as a whole, their politics has moved a little bit to the right. So there was an uh -huh. effect, but still him losing was huge because he he was basically, he was likened to Trump. He was very fond of Trump. He said nice things about Trump, which Marie Le Pen has not done recently because she kind of sees the writing on the wall, which makes her a little bit more savvy where she can understand that, you know, I don't want to attach myself to Donald Trump like uh, Wilders did. Um, mm -hmm. But in Germany, so the German elections are in September. So Germany is kind of, this situation where, uh, in terms of the established order in Europe, Germany is probably the most important uh, country. Uh, it's the largest economy. And then Merkel is now, you know, is viewed as like, you know, the, the leader of the free world, I keep hearing, you yeah. know, which in a lot of ways, it's, it's true. She it's represents true. the order, um, especially in the EU. Um, she's pretty Her much and neck Obama and neck. were essentially of the same ideological, you know, right. they're on like, like, like the, the same point on the ideological, like ideological spectrum right. of, the, of this, of this. Uh, determination to maintain the liberal world order, you know, for all its shortcomings or, you know, benefits, you know? Yeah. So her and her competitor, Martin Schulz, um, they're both leading the polls at around 30% each. And the alternate for Germany party, which is that right wing nationalist party, they're hovering around nine to 10%. So unless there's a dramatic change between now and September, it's either going to be Schulz, who's a social Democrat or Merkel again. So you can, I'm not going to chalk it up to anything, but right-wing nationalism in Germany, which is a sore subject for that country more than any other yeah, country, um, seems to not be a threat to the order in Germany. Now, the election in France, that's the big one. And then Italy, yeah. possibly, because Italy is kind of in the situation where their prime minister, uh, Renzi, he stepped down, and they're having the same sort of fervor in that country. Um, so they might have an election and France, especially, and then possibly Italy could be having elections where these right wing nationalist parties could come to power. And if that happens, then the whole EU is, is in trouble. Um, if, mm -hmm. so if they can somehow stiff arm Le Pen, then I think it would be okay for now. I'm not saying that it's over just because you beat Marine Le Pen, because, um, she can just maybe run the next election, you know, and if she, wins yeah, then, or, you, you know, know, you know, and then, and, and like you were saying, this is kind of the fear that I think we had with, um, with Hillary Clinton, you know, or, or, you know, I, I guess it was, sorry, it, it was, it was the hope it, it's, it was the hope that we had with her, with Hillary Clinton was that the, the presence of, of Bernie Sanders would draw her more to the left, mm -hmm. you know, and that, um, some of these, like, these more, uh, 
you know, socialist ideologies that he promotes would be co-opted by the, 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 the Democratic Party. Um, and in some ways, she did have to, you know, like the platform was, you know, it was labeled as the most progressive platform in history. And that was largely in part because of Bernie Sanders. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing the opposite effects play out on the right as well, that these center-right parties are being drawn more to the right by these crazy right-wing factions that are, you know, that do have some support within these countries and obviously within the U.S. as well. And in order to consolidate the voter base and make sure that people come to the polls, they also have to adopt this kind of rhetoric. Is you know we we saw the same thing throughout um, Obama's presidency in Congress with the Tea Party. You, like we saw that party, like the Republican Party, move further and further to the right because the people you know on on the on the total end of the spectrum were going crazy and shouting so loud and saying all this shit. And so in order to actually you know, stay in power, they had to co-opt some of those, mm -hmm. uh, like some of those platforms and those views. It's really becoming like, who speaks the loudest, you know, who can yell the loudest right now? The, like the left is very silent, which I think is kind of a scary thing. And you're seeing these people on the far right, screaming their heads off, going crazy. Um, and so in order to quiet them down, we sort of almost have to, you know, we have to give them a little bit, you know what I mean? You know, but there, but you know, you can use the old phrase: if you give them an inch, they'll, they'll take a mile, and they'll just keep going. You know, so it's kind of a it's kind of a faulty uh, approach towards you know mitigating that that kind of situation. Well, let's talk about the Democrats. So we argued in um, in episode four about where the party should go. Um, now, since we lasted an episode, a lot has happened with Trump, Russia, all that crap. It's still happening. Just you know, you know, just watch the news for like ten minutes, and you'll get caught up essentially. Um, but what we're seeing is just, okay, the, the narrative of chaos, you know, it's just, it's still happening. You know, it does not look good. Um, the healthcare bill was postponed today. It's just, you know, it's, it's chaos, you know, and it's unorganized. Yeah. Not much is getting done. There's like a little GOP civil war happening that we'll talk about later. But in terms of the Democrats strategy, the one thing that I think they should do is kind of remain quiet, and I think they should calm down on the Russian conspiracy theory um, uh -huh. sort of like uh, narrative a little bit and not jump every single time there's like a new revelation with, you know, Trump's connections and his campaign's connections to Russia. Just let that play out. Keep quiet. Let the investigation take its course, but really sit back and, you know, let this cook. You know what I mean? Take yeah, a step I back. Suppose. They don't put they shouldn't put themselves in a position to where let's just say something happens where you know the after the investigation with Russia it turns out there was no connection which could be and I think we should be happy to be honest with you if that's the case because that would be if we, we do find out then we're in a whole different sort of mess like what, what do we do now yeah well I mean you know, you know honestly you know my view on the whole thing is it and, it, and it's it's like we we've said before the whole Russia thing and the latching onto that narrative I think while it's you know great for ratings and, you know, is a juicy thing and, and, you know, might soothe some liberals hearts uh, to know that this guy who's in office, you know, was put there by nefarious means. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I think it also ignores the divisions with, with society, like within society and uh, you know, the real antagonism that develops between various groups of our society. It ignores those, those same things have been ignored for so long. And that's partly why Donald Trump was so popular is because he kind of brought them to the surface um, you know, so I think that, um, you know, the silver lining for me with the whole election, you know, I was like, all right, well, at least these, you know, conversations that have been occurring through dog whistles throughout, you know, the past 40 years 
and you know occasionally bubble over with like hate crimes at least we're going to be having this conversation out in the open you know but the whole russia thing prevents that from happening because now people are you know going crazy trying to prove his illegitimacy so you know i don't know but yeah. i think for the democrats what the like what they need to do they like they can't just be the anti-trump party they yes. can't just do that they need to pro- provide an alternative and i think the alternative you know they can obviously be anti-trump but they i think that they need to provide or that they need to um, found themselves upon a, an ideology and a, and a and a framework that um, that they can use to critique Trump and his policies, you know. And I think that in order to do that, they need to embrace the left wing of the party because, you know, you know, for what it's worth, you know, like that is like the real critical wing. They're able to critique things from you know an economic perspective. Um, of, you know, this mentality of redistribution of wealth, um, you know, of social services, like, like robust social, social services. I think those things are important to Trump voters, um, whether they'll say it or not, you know, and that will is what will get people out and get people excited and, and energized. They can't just be anti-Trump. We're telling Trump is bad. He's bad. You know, they need to attack his policies and they need to have some ideological firepower to attack them with. And right. people on, like, within, like, like on the, on the, you know, the far left of the party are the only ones who are sort of providing that kind of strong critique. Everyone in the establishment, you know, who we consider part of like, you know, the establishment is kind of like bought up, you know, Chuck Schumer has been bought up by Wall Street since the beginning of his, of his career. You know, I mean, I think he's a nice guy and he might have some potential, but I don't really trust him because of his, you know, of, 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 of his campaign backers, you know, Cory Booker is, you know, his, his campaign finances are well-documented do we want to keep being this, you know, kind of corporatist Democratic Party that is pro-business, but at the same time tries to tout these progressive values? Or do we want to, um, you know, listen to these more socialist voices, the people who are actively calling for regulations on the financial industry, um, you know, a redistribution of wealth, um, you know, a more a more strongly founded uh, entitlements program, things like that. You know what I mean? Well, um, I think in we, the like, short really term, though, here? in the short term, they need to not pull a Rachel Maddow is what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, they need 100, to, 100%. Yeah, 100%. They, need to, they need to watch this thing play out and yeah. see what happens because these guys are going to destroy themselves. You know, we yeah, thought that maybe, you know, you know, yeah, this is a, is a continuation of what we were seeing from the campaign, um, especially the like the uh, the Republican primary campaign where we were seeing these guys kind of implode. And the idea after that was there's no way Trump can win. The Republican party is dead. You know, there are all the, like all this shit written about it. And then once the, like once the, uh, the election happened and Trump won that, that kind of, you know, analysis and understanding of the Republican party kind of got, uh, sidetracked a little bit. And people were thinking, okay, holy shit. They control both houses of Congress and the presidency. They can really like really do some damage. But now that meant, or, or, or that, that, um, kind of wisdom and understanding of the party is kind of making a return and it's playing out in the healthcare fight. Yeah. And the Democrats, if they let everything with Trump, all his scandals and issues, if they let it play out, you know, Mm -hmm. let the investigation into Russia play itself out, keep pressure, but they can't just keep jumping to every new conspiracy theory about Trump and what he's doing. And you have to play defense, you know, you have to obstruct to a certain point. And in the end, if you just let Trump and his administration run the course that they're currently on, then you will be okay in four years because it's not, yeah. it's not 
the, the hardcore Trump supporters, as we keep saying in the show, that you sh- even should worry about because they will stick with him and they'll stick yeah. with Sean Hannity no matter what. It's the people who, quite frankly, are already getting fed up with the simple fact that there's so much scandal and nothing is getting done. And that little civil war we were talking about and that little rift between the Republican Party, that's still there. That that baby didn't get healed. That, that did not yeah, go I know, away. I know, so, but, but, you know, but you mentioned four years from now, but, you know, we also have to think about what's going to happen two years from now. And, 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 and I don't think we can just wait for another four years and hope that, no, that nothing happens. Sure. I think that we need that, that the, the Democrats need to focus on what's going to happen two years from now. And part of doing that is, uh, you know, taking the, uh, you know, the, the right wing connotation away from populism and applying it to, to a left, more, a more left leaning electorate. And energize that electorate and get them to come out. And part of that is is um, embracing the left leaning part of the party. Well, and, you I know, think that, that... the the left will be energized just for the simple fact that Trump is in office. Let's just but say are, are, I agree with gonna, you what you're saying. Go, they can't wait are they four go years. Vote Democratic or, or, or are they going to vote for somebody else? Well, you know, this is what I'm you know... talking about. They can't wait. Yes, you're right. Can't wait four years. You have to vote in the midterms, right? If that that's that should be the goal. This will be helped, this cause, to get ready in two years for these these elections that are coming up in the midterms. The Republicans will help the Democratic cause. They already are with the simple fact that the health care bill that Paul Ryan pushed out is nothing that Trump promised and nothing that the people for Trump who, who voted Trump for Trump doesn't him even know wanted. what's in it. He doesn't even know what's in he it. He doesn't even know what's in it. Did you read that? They're doing <laughs> the job for the Democrats. That's what yeah, I think you've been that, seeing. But that lets the— that that lets the Democrats off the hook because then they can just sit back and watch it uh, watch it unfold. They don't have to change their image or change what they're about. And that's part of the problem with Hillary was that she was just you know a terrible you know she she represented everything that was bad about the party that they're you know they're as you know sort of right wing on business things as the as the Re- Republicans are you know they you know like one inter- like interesting thing like thing that I read was that. Like a sign of 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 how hollow the core of the, the Democratic Party was ideologically, was the fact that throughout the campaign, Hillary Clinton kept promoting these historically right wing neocon guys who are coming out against Trump and for Hillary as you know as uh, you know clarification as to why she was the best choice. You know, she was taking these like these right wing hawks, guys like Bill Kristol and uh, and 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 his ilk. You know, former like, like like military guys, and, and and using that as a justification as to why people should vote for her and not Trump. She was just an, an anti-Trump candidate, but she had nothing ideologically to challenge Trump with. You know, she was just like you know, yeah, we're but that's not the case together, anymore, you know? though. That's not the case because they're they're well, they are now the it, opposition is, is party, though? and they're not in power. I understand, I understand, but 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 if you want to have a robust party and move forward, you need to have that ideological foundation, which they just don't have. You know they're 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 a corporatist party. You know, do you see fucking Nancy Pelosi? You know, oh, she's uh, the worst. Like, yeah, did you see her? She was asked by some like NYU student. He asked her about cap like capitalism and her was and like you know and socialism or, or something like along those lines. And she just goes, "Well, we're capitalists, and that's that." You know, is that the approach that you really want from these leaders? You know, and so I don't know. I, I I just feel like you know when 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 that's the. Uh, you know the the prevailing wisdom throughout the party. You're not so much different from the people across the aisle from you who are also pro business and pro deregulation and you know in the fucking pocket of these of these interests. You know, and I feel like you need a counter to that. And if the, the, the Democrats want to survive long term, then they need to lay the ideological foundation 
with a more left-wing critique of policies that Trump is going to implement. He's going to have the easiest time implementing business and economic policies because that's what like what's popular among among the right. You know, deregulation, tax cuts, uh, things that you know inherently fuck over the like the little guy who are Trump's base. Now we don't want those little guys to go to some other crazy you know right wing you know nationalist nut. We want them to come to our party. You know that like that was what was the case with unions. Unions like forever were were like voted Democratic until they got sold out. You know we need to and now like a lot of those union guys are going for Trump. So we need to find a way to get those people back into our orbit. And I think the way to do that is to be the party you know is to try to you know be the party of you know I don't know the little guy you know. Well, I can tell you right now, both parties need to figure their shit out because there is conflicting ideology on on the right and there is a lack of ideology on the left. But yeah, what we're also seeing, and we'll transition here, is a little thing. Now, at the top of the show, I had a little Sean Hannity uh, Trump skit at the top. And Sean Hannity's come under fire recently more than ever, and he's increased his kind of Twitter presence. And all he does now is he does a show, and he goes on Twitter, and he fights with people, people on the left, people on the right. Wall Street Journal, Brett Stevens, also, you know, they have the same boss, Rupert Murdoch. They got into it on Twitter. And what we're seeing is a direct connection between Sean Hannity, his show, and the Trump administration, and the talking points for both, basically. So what's the question? We're seeing it, seeing it with all of Fox News too. Yeah, and it's not just it's Fox and Friends is showing Hannity. Apparently, uh, that's how Trump gets his intelligence briefings. Yeah, and it's there's this great quote. So the transcript for Trump's um, interview with Time Magazine was just released today. He was asked about the whole um, question about the Obama administration tapping GCHQ, the British uh, Foreign Intelligence mm-hmm. Agency, their equivalent of NSA, tapping them to wiretap Trump. Right. So this is a claim that has been pretty much uh, denied by everybody, including the intelligence community. And his response to this was, quote, I have articles saying it happened. So you have OK, this is I don't want to get into what Trump says every, and, and analyze everything that he says. But this is a very funny statement, number one. But then it's also the relationship between him and some something like Fox News or Breitbart, where instead of the intelligence community that works for him getting information from them, He's directly getting information from these articles that he's talking about and from Sean Hannity. Now, the question is, where is the information going? Is it going to Trump or down from the administration to Sean Hannity and out to the people? Um, It seems like there's a symbiotic sort of relationship between Sean Hannity and Fox and Friends and Donald Trump. And I find it really ironic because what Sean Hannity does on his show, he uses terms like the alt-left propaganda media he likens the mainstream media to Pravda, which is the um, which was the Soviet um, state-run news organization during um, during the Soviet Union. CNN is the Clinton News Network. NBC yeah, has a corporate like jihad uh, against Trump, and then he always says, you know, they are the enemy of you, the American people. You know, all, all the all these terms, and I, I just find it really ironic that it's he he likens the mainstream media to Pravda which was, you know, the state-run media organization of the Soviet Union. But he doesn't realize, he's got no self-awareness that he's literally that for Trump, right? He's literally that. He's exactly that. He's, he has no He has no apparent self-awareness of it. I'm sure, yeah. you know, any, you know, it's like, um, you know, that that's, 
that's a very calculated thing, I think, on the on the part of the producers sure. and the people at Fox News, you know? Yeah, and it's funny because, um, like, if you just break it down, like, what is a state-run media? What does that mean? So the, the Communist Party ran Pravda. The Communist Party was the only party in the country, right? They ran the state. They ran everything. They ran the Soviets, everything. And Pravda basically produced the party line, the information. It was all propaganda, what they wanted you to know, right? And Sean Hannity being an ally of Trump, he will never critique Trump. Never. He he is an apologist. He is an ally. He's a, the number one cheerleader. He's getting shit from all sides, from the right and from the left. And he's just going over and, uh, you know, defending Trump on everything that he does. That is the literal definition of state-run media. Trump is the head of state, and you are spitting the party line, the Trump line, on TV. And it's funny that he, he attacks the mainstream media because I think we've said it before. He's in a primetime slot on the most watched news network in the country. Like, you can't get more mainstream than that, you know? Yeah. But it also just goes to show you that there's this this riff happening also now at Fox News. There's one in the party on the right with the, with the Republicans, the GOP establishment versus Trump and his crew. And then also at Fox News because you have guys like Shepard Smith on Fox News. Um, and he's not a Sean Hannity guy. He's more of a news anchor. Sean Hannity is like a personality and like a, and like commentary. You know, that's a big that, that's a big distinction to make. And and yes. Hannity makes that himself. And yeah. so does Bill O'Reilly for that matter. Sure, sure. But they're on the same network, and we yeah. Fox News has become synonymous with just you know the right wing point of view, right? But even a guy like Shepard Smith, who is very critical of Trump, right? They're on the same network, and with Sean Hannity because he's so high profile. They are in danger of attaching themselves to the hip of 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 Trumpism, right? And if Trumpism fails, there's it, it could deal a blow to Fox News. Now their ratings are great, and people are still going to watch. But I just find it interesting that um, you have a guy like Sean Hannity who's attached to the hip to Trump, uh, and then you have this network that is the right wing, you know, perspective. And like, where do they go from here? Because at this point, if Trump fails, Sean Hannity is, you know, he's not going to get hired from anywhere else. Let's be honest. Yeah, but 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 the way that Trump is positioning himself is that no matter what his downfall is, he's going to be able to blame somebody for it. Yeah. Um, and I think the the average Fox viewer is actually is also the average Trump voter, and these people are diehard, and they only get their information from Fox News. So you know, it's going to have a spin on it. They're not really getting it from anywhere else. They're in their own echo chamber. You know, um, so they're not really like going to really have. They're isolated in that regard. They're not going to have any uh, any counter, uh, you know, views to 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 what they're getting. You know, whatever happens with Trump, they're going to be going to be able to, able to spin it where they can blame somebody else. The viewers are going to think the same thing. And those people, it's like it isn't like they're you know they watch a lot of TV. You know, like, that's how like a lot of those those, those viewers get their information is from TV. Um, so they kind of have that. And there's no real, like real competitor on that. So like. like they kind of have a lock on that demographic, you know? Um, so well, I don't think that they're, too, that, like, that they're too worried. And so the way that Trump – Trump is, is actually, I think, per, like very good for them because he is like a headline machine, you mm -hmm. know? Like, like he's so controversial. He's constantly creating this kind of static news that we've become accustomed to, whereas, you know, there's always something, and it's always kind of, you know, there's like always like this low-grade excitement surrounding every news story. You know, it's, it's like everything's breaking news now. Even like, you know, the other networks do this too. It's breaking news – you know, I don't know. Spice is having his press briefing that he has every day. You know, like that's like that's just breaking news. Mm -hmm. You know, but it, but but this kind of like alarmist, this low grade alarmist, uh, you know, uh, message that exists throughout the news. You know, they're just keeping that going, and Trump makes that spike to higher and higher levels just because of uh, of of how he is. And, and my main problem with Sean Hannity <coughs> is, 
um, he does not elevate the knowledge of his audience, which is by design. You know, he 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 really plays to their fear this, mostly, yeah. and to their ignorance on a, a variety of topics. Because it's commentary, he can sit there and tell his listeners and his viewers like what they should believe in and how they should feel. Right. So I find that to be the lowest form of of media that there possibly could be. Like, see, we're we're doing a podcast, right? But we're not sitting there and telling our viewers that you need to be afraid of this or that the left is this exactly and that you should uh-huh. fear that, right? So that's my main problem with him. And it, it's a, it's always been a problem with Sean Handy and guys like Bill O'Reilly. Yeah, but but, but think about this. If 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 they get canned or whatever happens, they're going to find somebody else to fill that role. That's just the nature of what Fox News is, you know, of, of, of what the Fox organization is. You know, that's what just, you know, that's that's what like that like that's the game that they're playing. Sure, it's not, but it's, it's not I w- I would push back on that just a little bit because even Bill O'Reilly has been critical at times of Donald Trump. How can you not sure. be when he's done crazy sure. shit? Sean Hannon, on the other hand, is literally telling everybody, all his viewers, that every other news media is fake and false yeah. and is propaganda. That's dangerous, right? That's dangerous. That's basically when you, that's the exact definition of like a state run media, right? Where everything else is bullshit. Everything is fake. Yeah, it's but, there but, just to sow doubt, though. But look who gets the most access to the president. It's Sean Hannity. Yeah, but... Call Sean Hannity. You know, like, that's who gets the, who, who yeah. gets the most access. And so that's the price that you have to pay. Um, and, you know, this, this kind of transactional relationship between the press and politicians exists, you know, albeit on a much lower level. But it exists throughout... throughout oh, um, absolutely. With you Obama, know, too. So, you know, it's like, it's like yeah, it's like, it's like no one's going to provide access without, you know... Like like knowing that there's gonna be a negative spin on the interview, no one's gonna do that. You know they're gonna yeah. they're gonna go to outlets and journalists who they know will spin it in a certain way. It's just that Trump and Fox are just so extreme that, that this this is 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 the result that you get is this is this pandering and this kind of you know I don't know man. Well, <laughs> this, but, you know. but so let's let's go the other side of that. So people would argue right now to us you know, a fan of Sean Hannity. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the media was like in love with Obama. They were never critical of Obama. There's a difference, okay? The main difference is that Obama was not nearly as divis- divisive in his language and his actions or even nowhere near as unorganized, right? Like there was, a, yeah. he was a tried and true typical politician. You can predict what he's going to happen. He's He doesn't use divisive language, um, he's not, you know, saying these crazy things. He was pretty much very normal in, in terms of what we expect from a politician. Yeah, and the Fox News watcher would say that that's actually bullshit and that he was just a wolf in sheep's clothing and was going to enter your home and uh, take your guns away so, that, so the government can roll in there and occupy your house. Yeah, and you those know? people are full of shit, and I'm not talking to them. Yeah, I know, but, <laughs> but yeah, I understand. But, but, but that's the kind of thing that we have to contend with, you know? Right. So, yeah, you know. yeah, but 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 look, ready. If, if you're at the point as president, OK, where Bill O'Reilly has to be critical of you and you're a Republican, then yeah, there there's an issue there. OK, he is the blowhard problems. of the blowhard. Right. Yeah. And you have a guy like Sean Hannity who's just completely aligned himself with the head of state, despite his many, many flaws. And the main objective of Sean Hannity and Steve Bannon and Trump. And the media has largely taken the bait so far. Is is they're they're waging this this war against the mainstream media and like and liberalism in general. But it's just to sow doubt, you know. And we don't realize how effective that is. Where if you just keep sowing doubt on every single news story, and you have a prime time slot and the biggest platform to do it, then when a story comes out, like let's just say the Trump administration colluded with Russia, 
there's going to be a segment of the population who will doubt that. You can show them mm-hmm. the smoking gun and they will doubt it. So that's yeah. my problem where Fox News, um, <coughs> they lose Megyn Kelly. It's all male anchors now, right? Is they're yeah. all all the all the prime time slots are just all Pretty male much, anchors? I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, right. And you they've aligned themselves with a guy like Sean Hannity, who's like I said, he got into an argument with, with Brett Stevens, who's a columnist in the Wall Street Journal, who you and I would read all the time, and I hated him. Right, I fucking hated his mm-hmm. articles. He was just you know he, he was critical of Obama when you know in, in in ways where you're just like oh come on like would you stop you know what i mean like yeah, i get your yeah. point petty petty petty, petty things. things petty things but in the end you could i can look at a guy like him he has a column and we would read it and i can say to him okay he has a differing view right he got into it with sean hannity on twitter they have the same boss okay yeah the same exact thing and they got into it with each other because even a guy like brett stevens who was super critical of obama because that was his point of view right and and that he's fine he can have that is seeing what Sean Hannity's doing as so like morally bankrupt and just a danger to information <coughs> in general, you know? Mm-hmm. And when you have people who have the same boss well, as you... Well, keep in mind that the Wall Street Journal is held to a much higher information standard than, than Fox News is. You know, sure, matter, but you know, they don't know, have the is... reach that Fox News has, so that's, no, that's, yeah, that's, that's true. The, that's the problem with it, you know? Sure. So my whole thing is like, where does Fox News go from here? Because they're 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 also on the cusp of this. Doing- this is this is the logical logical conclusion to what Fox News, you know, was was meant to be. Mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of reading on 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 Roger Ailes today, mm-hmm. uh, and so this is just an extension of 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 what his vision for Fox News and Ruben Murdoch's as well for what they wanted it to be. Um, this kind, you know, it was it was sort of born out of this perception that there needs you know that the liberal or sorry that the um that the mainstream media itself is inherently liberal so there needs to be a like a a right a right-leaning counter to that liberal bias that was at the core you know one of the founding principles of fox news but it sets them up for you know for you know in, in in journalistic terms it sets them up for failure because um, you know they're never going to be able to rid themselves of that bias, but that's not really what they want to like want it to do. They want to uh, promote their worldview and counter like the liberal world order. That's like what they want. You know, this is just an extension of that. You know, they worked very hard. You know, Roger Ailes was you know this. He was so savvy in the way in you know he understood TV. He knew the power of imagery. Um, he knew that you know watching TV was kind of this emotional thing. You know, so he injected emotion into into news coverage, um, you know, but they were never like really too concerned with the, uh, you know, validity of what they were saying, but more the message, you know, the content wasn't really, I think there was one that he was, he was advising Bush or maybe it was Reagan. I think it was Reagan, you know, when there's all this, um, you know, in the 84 election, when there was all this questioning about, you know, uh, his mental attitude and whether you know, whether or not he'd be able to to perform the duties of, of the office, which were all valid concerns. Um, but he said to him, he, he said, "You're not being elected on facts. You're being elected on 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 themes and feelings and emotion. So play to those things, you know. And that's what won him the presidency, you know, in a lot of ways. So he's good at 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 provoking uh, an emotional reaction to news stories and spinning them in." in in a certain way, you know, he like he was a spin master. You know what I mean? He's like Kellyanne Conway, right. but you know, to like to like the like the the nth degree. Um, so this is, and you know, they were very influential with the Bush election process. There's some crazy shit about that. 
where you know they they were the first ones. You know, Florida was 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 too close to call, and they're the first ones to announce it. And so every other and, and they knew that every other news organization would uh, feeling that would follow suit. Mm-hmm. So before they had even counted the votes, like I never knew this, but but before they, uh, you know, like I didn't know that, that like that they were the first ones to do this and and did this fucking scheme. But everyone else followed suit. So before you knew it, it was it was a foregone conclusion, despite the fact and 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 that made it like that much harder to um to 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 do the recount because it was already. A, like a given that Bush had won the presidency. And I think in the 2000 election, if what I remember what I read correctly was that um, on, on, based on some analysis, Fox News's coverage of Bush swayed at least 200,000 votes in Bush's favor. You know, so I, I, I made that joke the other day to you about how, you know, we, like we were saying, you know, Donald Trump will often take his cues from Fox News yes. um, and then, you know, and then create controversy over that. So, you know, you know, people say that, you know, Pravda is state run television. Um, you know, my my counter to that is, you know, the Trump administration is is, is Fox run or is Fox sponsored government. Yeah, you know? exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so but but under Bush, actually, what I what, what I found out today was that they were actually um, they were operating more out of a state, you know, sponsored media paradigm under Bush. Um, so, you know, Bush gave them favorable coverage. Well, a lot you know, of people also, were at that point too, especially for Iraq, you know? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But, but, um, they're giving all favorable coverage to the Iraq situation. They weren't providing any mm-hmm. really Critical. any counter to that decision to go in. Exactly. So, you know, this is the game that they're playing. This is, this is, is, is nothing new. Um, and so I think what they do is they just attach themselves to this moment and see how far it takes them. Sean Hannity is taking it too far in my opinion, where of course he is, he's taking they, they've it. Been, they've been taking it too far for years, man. You know, it's like, yeah, but this is like, this is like on a completely, completely different level because if you, you think about fuck, the historical moment when Bush this. was in, they care about ratings and Haunted, like Hannity has great fucking ratings. Oh, of course. They have of amazing course. ratings. Of course. But you're seeing even within Fox news and within under the, 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 the Murdoch umbrella, you're seeing people within that pushing back on Sean Hannity. We've never seen, somebody emasculate themselves on TV quite like what Sean Hannity is doing right now. You know, he is Google eyed (laughs) over Donald Trump and everything that he does. And it's, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Now you would expect this to be on maybe his radio show or something like that, but not on primetime TV. And I think you're going to, okay, he's going to get the crazies. He's going to get the people who, you know, hated Obama and all these people and all the dog. Yeah. I mean, he might, he might go the, uh, he might go the Glenn Beck route. Right, right. Um, But at at some point, at some point, I think and I hope it's really wishful thinking, I think to the brand of Fox, right, especially if um, if Trump continues to, you know, trend downwards, like Fox will have to at some point. Now, this is all, you know, if if right would have to cut bait with him because he's now he's ruined his career. You can't bounce back from what he's doing now. You can't go back to being Sean Hannity, the blowhard if trump fails you know his credibility will be shot so it is a gamble sure you, know? you can you can blame the cia or you, or you can blame the deep state or you, or you can blame the, like the liberal provocateurs who are in the yeah, streets you know true. like you know of course again you know they're positioning themselves up for this man you know they're like because they know that this ship is sinking um so they like the last thing that you know they want to get off the lifeboat you know with the rest of the uh of of the crew and the, and the passengers like they're like they don't want to go down with the ship you know so um, yeah, I don't know. I think that, you know, if Hannity leaves Fox News, they'll replace his role with some other fucking hack. 
you know, and we'll be having this conversation in five years time again. Well, I would hope not, but it seems to be their, their formula and it's okay. You know, there's fucking pays man. You know, they, they are raking it in right now. They're doing better than ever. Oh, and apparently I, I read that, I I read that, you know, so just a, a, a reflection of, of their, uh, journalistic integrity. They have a third of the staff of, of, of most major and mainstream news outlets like CNN. They have a fucking third of it. Um, you know, so they're lean, you know, they don't really do investigative work, mm-hmm. you know, despite the fact that Hannity says that he's been to the border the most times out of anyone within the media, which is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> you said know? that? Yeah, he said that. Oh that was, God. that was how he, that, that was how he, uh, claimed authority on, 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 on border control issues. But, you know, uh-huh. they, they, they're a TV show, you know, that's all that, like that yeah. they are. They, they spin political messaging and they state that they're fair and balanced, you know. And so, to most people who don't really watch anything else, they have no other reason to 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 not believe that, you know. Um, it's just when you take it out of that bubble, it, it doesn't really make any sense. You know, I don't like Bill O'Reilly, you know, but and he's he's an asshole, and um, he he takes this, you know, he takes the stance that I, I'll never agree agree with. But the one thing about him is that, and he's the most watched guy on TV, essentially, right? He's he's the head honcho there. He is ha- he more than Sean Hannity? Yeah, yeah. High ratings and yeah. Yeah, yeah. He um I think it's also the, the time slot. He's a little bit earlier. I think it's like yeah, right it's after nine, dinner time. Nine o'clock. Like that. That's when that's when Maddow's on, you know, the, and, yeah. and she's the crown jewel of MSNBC. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I mean the thing about Bill O'Reilly, I don't agree with him, but th- there's something about him that I can um in, at some point you know, he, he has historical context. Like he's not a dummy, you know. I don't yeah. look at him as dummy. I look at Sean Hannity as a stooge, you know. He 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 doesn't. I don't. When he says things, he's a guy you keep around to make you feel good. Exactly. You know? Yeah. He just seems like a yes man. He seems like yeah, a goon. That's all he is. That's you all know. He is. That's basically <laughs> all he. Bill O'Reilly. You could see. Okay. He he's got his opinions. He writes these histor- these history books that are ridiculous. But at least you you can see that there's some sort of context to the thing that he says. Sean Hannity. At least he fucking reads. Fear. Yeah. Exactly. It's just all fear. Yeah. If somebody to, to, news to everyone. All right. No matter who's doing it to you. If you're listening to someone. And they're trying to scare you, right? They're using invoking nine eleven is is a, is like the red flag for this. If you're going to invoke a nine eleven all the time, like they do, and Sean Hannity still does it, right? They're mm-hmm. trying to scare you, right? That was the scariest point of most people's lives was nine eleven. If they're trying to do that, they're trying to scare you. You should take that as an insult, right? You don't need to be scared in this world. There's so many things scaring us. You don't need somebody on TV trying to scare you because what they're doing is trying to invoke an emotion and what they're doing is trying to bypass your critical brain, right? That's exactly what they're yeah. trying to do. Bill O'Reilly does it too, but every now and then he he makes a point where he can, you know, you can be like, oh, there's historical context for for that line of argument, right? You don't get that with Sean Handy. He doesn't elevate no. anyone. So fuck you, Sean Handy, where you're yeah. dumb ass. You see that his fucking cover photo on Twitter? It's him holding like a Nerf football. Like he's no, gonna throw it. That's so fucking oh lame. My God, you know, the Nerf, the Nerf fad was so like early two thousands. God, he, like sucks. Late 90s. <laughs> yeah. he sucks. He sucks. He's so yeah. he's so bad. You know, it's like he, he he's making me talk nice about Bill O'Reilly. Yeah, for real unbelievable. Fuck that. Well, we're almost up to an hour. Is there anything all else, right. Nick? Any other thing that's itching I think, you? I think we covered all the topics, man. I'm cool. I'm worn out. I need a nap. <laughs> I know. What's the weather like, by the way? It's actually nice. It's in fucking Seattle. freezing, man. Goddamn. <laughs> yeah, we had like a seven degree degree day two weeks ago, and now it's like in the fucking thirties. We finally we've had a really really wet 
like like abnormally wet. Like it's wet here normally in Seattle, but it, it's been a pretty brutal stretch. And now the last rough, in man. the last week, we've had three days where just it's been blue skies. So nice. oh man, it's 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 crazy how appreciative everyone is here when it when the sky clears up yeah it's we're, crazy we're it's up. great it's like uh, everybody's in a good mood you know it's it's unbelievable and it, it, even me like i you know i can you know going to school in ithaca i can deal with the clouds you know what i mean you know you, you have yeah. once in ithaca where the sun doesn't come out either but even this winter i was just like fuck man like i have no energy that wears on you man that wears on yeah. you but all right well you know we haven't done an episode in a while so this one i'm glad that we were able to get it out all right, well, this is episode five. Find us on SoundCloud and iTunes, The Wisecast. You can follow me on Twitter, at Chaz Garden. Nick, do you have a Twitter? Do you Twitter? Uh, not, not, no, I, I think that's what I'm on. All right, all right. Follow don't me. follow me. Don't, don't follow me. Okay, well, I won't, I won't say anything. <laughs> all right, well, rate and review us on iTunes, and uh, we may not have an episode next week. Um, I will be out of the country. Nice, and, man. Yeah, and then we'll come back in about two weeks, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about the next fucking fiasco that's we'll probably going to unfold. Maybe healthcare. Yeah. Who knows? Well, after today, uh, maybe not. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. uh, we won't have too much to talk about. All right, Word. man. All right, cool. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right. Thanks, dude. Peace. So think about the magnitude of all of this for a second. Hillary Clinton could be sworn into office while still being under investigation from the FBI, which would then put this country into a major constitutional crisis. Now, Clinton says Donald Trump, oh, he's not fit to serve in the Oval Office. But she, and she alone, has created a situation that could do severe damage to this country and the office of the presidency and prevent this country from solving problems. That means getting Americans back to work, fixing our broken educational system, fixing a broken health care system, fixing porous borders, vetting refugees. All of this needs to be done. Balancing a budget. Stopping-